What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by a special guest. He's a good coach. He's a better person. He's Orlando Magic head coach Jamal Mosley. And we're going to discuss Jamal's journey to becoming a head coach in the league. He's gotten a chance to coach some of the top players that have ever played this game from Carmelo Anthony, Kyrie Irving, Dirk Nowitzki, Luka Doncic. And now he's coaching rising stars Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner, who played very well in the World Cup and are getting ready for a big season ahead. Jamal, I appreciate you joining me, brother. First off, how's everything your way now that the uh, offseason is pretty much coming to a conclusion and you guys are getting ready for training camp around the corner? No, things are great. And Michael, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm very grateful for, for the opportunity to sit down and talk with you. Oh, my pleasure, my man. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but, you know, you played back in the day. And if you ever, for those who've never stood next to Jamal, uh, he's a big guy. You know, he's about, you got to be what, 6'7", six, 6'8"? Seven, six, 6'7". Um, six, I think hey. as I get older, I'm probably shrinking, but I'm 6'7". <laughs> <laughs> at least now they change it where usually they used to be like adding an inch or two for uh, guys heights when they would put them in the in the media guides but um you know getting into coaching and making that transition from a player to a coach how did you go about that around you know the 2005 2006 uh years when uh you made that transition for yourself and, and you joined denver as a, an assistant well, it, it started, you know, I was just finishing up playing overseas and, and it was a top around the time my mother had passed away uh, and it was going back and forth and being overseas and being away from family. Uh, so when that happened, it kind of made me pause and think about, you know, where I wanted to be. And, you know, gratefully, I had a great friend that lived in Denver at the time, uh, who my college, actually my college uh, roommate. Uh, and he said, you know, come back, try to figure out what you're doing. And, uh, and at that same time, George had just taken that job. George Carl had taken the job with Denver and his staff that he had put together and had for a, quite some time was, you know, John Welch and Tim Gergerich. And I had known John from high school days. And, you know, he just said, you know, come on down, help work our guys out, uh, whether you're going to decide to play or, you know, go back overseas or whatever, just decide what you want to do. Uh, but within that time, you know, it came, it became apparent to me working with John and Gerg and then just seeing how those guys had energy in the gym, the way they taught, the way they pushed guys um, and then pushed me to help figure out what I wanted to do. It was Gerg that grabbed me aside and said, hey, kid, if you really want to do this, this is what it's going to take. Um, and just seeing their work ethic and care for the players and how to develop them and get that buy in was something that was just so intriguing to me and it helped me get better in order to help guys get better. And for you, when you were in Denver, you were there for a number of years, but you had a chance to coach a bunch of really good players. Um, you know, I'm, I'm talking guys that are, you know, top 75 all time and Carmelo Anthony, Allen Iverson, and then some other guys that had really good careers, you know, J.R. Smith, Kenyon Martin, Chauncey Billups. But, um, you know, you, you mentioned about George Carl and, and whatnot and the rest of the guys that brought you there. I mean, what for you lessons did you take from those guys to kind of mold your own coaching identity while you uh, were in Denver? I mean, that was the great part about being with George, that he allowed you to be yourself as a coach. You know, he you know, he had Gerg, he had um, John that they 
did so much of the, you know, figuring things out with the players. And George was just great at allowing the players to figure that out. Uh, so there was a freedom that he gave players uh, to figure things out on the court. But then you saw the work ethic that in what he did of studying the game and his offensive mind. Uh, and then between that and Gerg and the, the work ethic of being the first one in the gym, the last one out of the gym, helping these guys get better and really investing in the players. And that's what I think that I took the most from was that it's always about investing in the guys and how do you get them better to help them reach their potential for whatever it is they're trying to do, you know, helping them become great as a coach. How, how about specifically just with Carmelo and Allen Iverson, these were two guys that were some of the best NBA scorers of all time. Um, that dynamic, what, what was it like, not only just on the court, but behind the scenes, those guys are, um, their personalities and their fun personalities. If you, if you get to know both guys, you know, for the fans listening, um, especially, you know, when I had Carmelo here in New York, I mean, he was a lot of fun, but what was it like with those guys behind the scenes? Any, any fun stories and, and memories you had coaching, um, two top 75 guys all time? No, it was great. So just being able to see both, uh, Chuck and Mello at the uh, at the Hall of Fame, you know, for Dirk's and, uh, you know, induction. It was really great just to kind of visit with them and see the smiles on their faces and the journeys that they had been through. But the time that they were in Denver, there was just such there's such joy and competitiveness. I think that was it. There was always a level of competition, whether it was a shooting game, one on one, whatever that looked like. They were so highly competitive. And every night you walked on the floor with them, you knew you had a chance to win every game. And that was the great joy behind that. And then people also don't see the work ethic. You know, you see the lights, you see the fun, you see, you know, the the joy that they played with on the court and that competitive nature. But there was work behind it. Um, the summers that, you know, you spend with Mello, you know, going to Baltimore, um, the times that you spend with AI, you know, in the gym post-practice. I mean, all those things, like they worked at their craft and and it's obviously shown being top 75 players that to ever play the game. Um, I, I think that they didn't get there, you know, by chance. They put the work in, they loved the game and just at a high level of competitiveness every day. And then you go from those guys to arguably one of the best ball handlers of all time. You go to Cleveland and you spend a number of years there, but you got I believe you got Kyrie Irving as a rookie when yes. he first came into the league. And what what was that like with Kyrie in terms of, one, coaching him, and two, could you see at that time, because he was coming off an injury uh, plagued yeah. year at Duke, and I think a lot of people forget that, but could you see what he could become ultimately? Did you Did you get those glimpses with him early on in the gym? I mean, there was just such a a talent level. Um, I mean, he's probably been one of the best finishers I've seen around that rim and just his ability to finish there and the skills he possesses with that ball. Um, And he worked at it. You know, I mean, that's the thing. And I always go back to that. These guys worked at their craft. It wasn't like just show up and I'm talented and I can just walk in the gym and go. Like it was working ball handling. He was another guy that he could play one-on-one till the lights went off. Uh, he just loved the game and loved the hoop. And, you know, that was the thing. And then it became a routine where, you know, you know, Coach Tibbs did a great job with him, who was there with us as well, um, of just working with him in the mornings, getting the, the, the sessions going. And then we brought, you know, Phil Handy came in and 
So it was always a coach grabbing him and working with him. And, and he bought into what was, you know, what was being asked of him to do. And but you just saw him continue to work. But then it came back to him just loving to play. He loves to play the game. As you're telling me about Tibbs, I'm just picturing I could hear like his voice as you're saying that, like Kyrie on the ball, <laughs> you know, with that, that accent. Yeah. Tibbs no, is no, right. Tibbs yeah. is no nonsense for sure. Yeah. Um you know, I don't. I don't know if uh, Paolo and friends need like the Patrick Ewing ice packs after your practices, but <laughs> those are some legendary tales for sure. And um, like even coaching Kyrie as a young guy, I, I can only imagine. You know, he's like coming into the league, and he didn't have. I mean, him being the savior too at that point before LeBron got there, it was an interesting dynamic. But then you go from you go from Kyrie to you have Dirk towards more the latter stages of his career, not the end, but, you know, past the first half of it. Mm-hmm. And you have him, you have Luca, you coach Jalen Brunson too. I mean, I'll start with Dirk. Um, I, I, I think of him with the one-legged step back, and I think of Patrick Ewing when he had that meme being like, when have you ever shot that shot? But he actually, <laughs> he made that his shot. Um, with Dirk on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, before he had beaten Miami, mm-hmm. what was it like with Dirk? And this was a guy that got criticized a little bit before he won the big one. Um, are there any stories you remember with Dirk behind the scenes that maybe people know about him and, you know, what that eventually down the line afterwards, what that title probably meant to him in his career? Well, you know, Michael, as you're talking about and you're naming all these guys, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, how grateful and blessed I have been to be around this game and to coach these guys and just to be around them and learn more about, you know, great players and how they approach the game. You know, it's helped me so much in my career. Like I told Melo when I saw him at the at the Hall of Fame, like how grateful I was that I was able to coach him. Same thing with Chuck, like. I don't think they understand how grateful coaches are to be able to coach great players. So without, without them, like we're not doing our job. Um, and so, but for Dirk, it, it just, there's so many stories um, because obviously over the years we've become you know, great friends, but as coaching against him early on, you know, from Cleveland to to Denver and then being able to be in the gym with him at the same time, what stood out more than anything was just his tireless and relentless work ethic. I mean, there was a guy that never felt that he had done enough. Um, it was always in the gym first, staying late, working on his craft, not getting done till he hit a certain amount of shots, sitting there watching him, you know, the legendary Holger, watching them go through the routine without saying a word. And it's just pointing and movement and, and different, you know, cadences of what they're doing it was just a beauty to watch. And then the last part about it is the human being that he is. I've never seen him turn down autographs, never take turn take turn down taking a picture with someone. The humility that he possesses as as a human being and what he gives back, I you know, you can't say enough about who he is as a as a player and as a man. And you and then you go from him to the transition with Luca a little bit and <laughs> I mean, I don't think you could have found a better mentor for Luca to kind of guide him through that transition. Um, 
I, I think we all knew from when Luca was a 16 year old that this kid could be the real deal. Um, you know, I don't know why a certain team didn't take him, but hey, good for you. Um, my my thing, actually, two teams rather. Um, but with Luca, I mean, when you looked at him as a rookie, and and then going forward, like one, what I don't even want to say what makes him special because there's many things. But when you look at the the trajectory of where Luca can go. And you had a chance to have him hands on. Mm-hmm. Where could we be looking at Luca down the line? You know, hopefully, you know, I don't know, fifteen plus years from now when he hangs up his sneakers. You, you know, the one thing about him, um, just getting to know him, and we had a, a common friend in Dante Draper, who was also a great friend of Melo. So that's how the connection ultimately started. Uh, and then he comes to Dallas, and you know, Dirk is, you know, kind of mentoring him in the way that he worked. He showed him, you know, this is me in, this is me out. This is how I do things. And Luca, the one thing about it, he observes everything. He sees everything. Um, Not just, you know, necessarily on the court, but off the court, you know, how you conduct yourself, how you carry yourself, what you're doing, how you're working. Uh, So the first time that you see it was in the pickup game. We had pickup runs uh, in the summer and he come, he came in just after winning, you know, winning it all over there. And now he's obviously tired because he had been playing nonstop. But he comes in, picks up, you know, picks up right where he left off. I mean, some of the passes he was making, you see now, but it was like it was just it's his natural instinct. And he's a kid that just loves to play the game, loves to be around his teammates. And there's a joy that he played with. And I think that was the one thing that stood out more than anything was there was just a joy to his spirit of playing the game. The talent level, I mean, he sees things that other people can't see. Um, I mean, he's he's always creating the game and he's an artist in that way. But just his love for the game and love for being around teammates and, and helping other guys be better. And last one for me when Dallas, I mean, Jalen Brunson has clearly evolved from once he got the keys to the offense with the Knicks and reuniting with your guy Tibbs. Yeah. Um, did, I'm going to ask you bluntly, did you did you know that this guy could be? I would say a top, he's a top 10 point guard in the NBA right now, somewhere in that range. Did, did you know that that was in his bag when he was in, in Dallas? And could, could you see that even though at the time he was teaming with Luca and, you know, he had that one playoff run with you guys where I feel like he kind of broke out essentially. Yeah. I was already gone at that playoff run, you know, and, but you, you saw it ahead of time. Um, and the great part about Jalen is that I've known him for, for years. Like I know he and his, he and he, me and his dad know each other well. Uh, so in high school, when he was, you know, in Chicago, you know, worked him out a few times when his dad was with the bulls. Uh, but it was just, you see, there's something in him that is more competitive than people realize. Uh, there is a professionalism that he's had for, for so long. Um, but the way that he pushes him, his teammates, that pushes himself, the way that he works, um, he wants to be the first in the gym. He wants to be the last out. He's pushing guys around him. So there's he has a special ability and a, a passion for playing and competing that I think people don't appreciate because of he comes off like, you know what, he carries himself like a true professional every single day. But there's a there's a killer walking in there. <laughs> I th- yes, a silent assassin will go yes. with. 
And for you, you know, you, you kind of talked a little bit about how Luca would play overseas and then come here and be a little tired. You had a busy summer. And so did a couple of your guys and, and Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, Mo Wagner as well, um, among the guys that participated in the, the World Cup. But f- I wanted to start with you first, of course, um, with the select team coaching those guys. What did that do for you? Because I, I don't think people realize a coach goes into an offseason and a coach works on his craft Um and, and gets better at that as well. You have to going into a new year. So when, when being a part of Team USA over the summer, were there any tips, tricks of the trade or anything that, that you soaked in like a sponge and um, added to your kind of coaching repertoire a little bit, being around obviously a lot of other talented coaches that were on that staff uh, with, the, with the national team for Team USA? You know, I, I'll go back to this. There was so much gratitude for being there, you know, being with, you know, Steve, Ty, Spo, Mark Few, Boylan, uh, Matt Painter, uh, Jeff Van Gundy. I, I just think that there's so much knowledge in that room. But the one thing that stood out more than anything with that group of guys, with the knowledge that they had was the the low ego. You know, it was it was about how do we get these guys better? How do we give back to the game? How do we, you know, pour into these guys and keep it as simple as possible to help them be who they are? And I think that's what it constantly came back to is like, how do we help these guys be the best version of themselves without dipping ourselves too far into it and making it about us? Uh, it was about something bigger. And I think that was the biggest takeaway for me. Um, obviously, there's X's and O's and different things that you see offensively where you can manipulate a defense and then defensive strategies of the details of where a certain guy's supposed to be on the floor in a rotation. You see those things, but just the humility that each one of them showed in order to share information, knowing you're going to compete against the guy during the year, but they were willing to share um, what it was to achieve a common goal. And so I was beyond grateful to be to be in that room with that group of men. I think you hit it on the head. You got a lot of cooks in the kitchen, essentially. Um, and you got the head chef. I would never call any of you a sous chef, but I think you get, I think you get the, I think you get the thought process there. I mean, I can imagine from like out of timeout plays and, and whatnot, you know, that was, if I, if I were you, I'd definitely stick a few of them in the back pocket and whatnot. For oh, sure. I, I absolutely did. There's I'm not taking away from that. There's definitely stuff in the back pocket. <laughs> I mean, and the other thing is, so, you know, you guys are, are coaching Team USA and, and you got a chance a little bit to see one of your own guys on uh, Team USA get a chance to grow um, and, and an important summer for him. Paolo Bancaro going into year two. Now, um, you know, I don't know if you were dodging Rotten Tomatoes from the Italians with him, but um, <laughs> I mean, I can say it. I'm Italian. It's fine. But <laughs> You know, I mean, look, I think we all knew it if he had a chance to go for Team USA that ultimately that was where he was going to go. But for for Paolo this summer, what did you see? What growth did you see in his game? And looking ahead towards the season, um, what player he can he can be as he kind of goes into year two for you guys? Well, I think the the. the sky's the limit. You know, I think him being with Team USA and then seeing the different aspects of how people had to adjust their game in order to 
to fit in with what was 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 trying to be accomplished. Um, and he did that as well. I mean, because he's capable of doing so many things. You know, in the beginning of the year, he played basically point for us at time between he and Franz uh, when we had our guards down. So he's capable of doing that, his decision making. Um, but more importantly, it was like I just watched his his jump defensively, uh, his ability to switch the pick and roll as well as to stay in the coverage. Uh, they had him playing the five, mixed win the four. I thought it was great that he expanded his game and it was real time that he's having to experience this and, you know, apply it right away. Uh, so I think it's going to, it does wonders for him on the court, but even more importantly, like his voice, his leadership. Uh, I mean, I was watching a practice in, in Vegas and I was just observing from the sideline and just watching his, the way he carried himself, uh, the way he projected his voice in certain drills. I think that's going to go so far when he, you know, he's back with the magic because it's a level of leadership that you're asking him to step into. And I think he recognizes that and feels that. And I think it's a great, it was a great experience for him to be around the, that group of players as well as coaches. Yeah, Jamal, I think that's a great point. I mean, when you talk about a guy that's a number one pick, I think a lot of people look at, okay, well, does he put up stats and whatnot? But when you take a guy at that spot, you're looking at a guy that's a franchise building block. And to your point, a leader. He's got to be a leader for you guys. Um, that jump defensively will be interesting. I mean, now that you've seen him, I guess, like, look, Paolo and Franz are also, I run, they're two of your best players, but they're also two of your most versatile players, um, certainly. With Paolo, I know you talked about him, like, kind of handling the ball. At times, played a little point. Franz certainly did. But with Paolo, I mean, do you see him maybe playing more of the five with the way the NBA is is kind of going now. And and also you talked about that kind of leadership ability. Like where where is he in terms of becoming I mean I, I'll say it's kind of the face of your franchise essentially when when he's the number one pick and you know your top scorer certainly. You know the great part about Paulo is and and you can see this with USA he's he wants to do whatever it takes to win. Uh, and that's how he's presented himself from the moment he's probably stepped on the court. Um, his his mom and dad have done a great job of molding and helping him understand the big picture of what it means to be a great teammate first, uh, and then putting that work in, you know, with the fundamentals. So for him and what what we do, um, he just believes in winning. And however that voice comes out uh, will be in different ways. It'll be with, with a work ethic, uh, you know, showing up, uh, getting guys, pushing guys, bringing the team together in, in small aspects off the court. But whatever it is, he's trying to find a way to win, whatever that looks like, whether that's playing the five, the three, the two, the one, whatever is necessary, he'll do because he's about winning and about helping, you know, achieve greatness, not just on an individual level, but on the, on the team scale. And another guy you're obviously expecting a lot of is Franz Wagner. We touched on him a little bit. I don't want to say he had a breakout World Cup, but he certainly made strides in his game. I think anybody who watches the film could see that. From your vantage point, what were your biggest takeaways from Paolo, I'm excuse me, from Franz um, in the World Cup? And also with looking ahead towards next season, is this a guy that can be either a breakout guy or most improved player candidate? You know, the cra the crazy part about our team, we have probably three or four guys that can have that, you know, that label, you know, a breakout year, a, you know, 
a standout year. You know, I, I think we have guys that are capable of that because we do have a young team and we have a, a group of guys that they love to work. They love each other and they're walking into it with that that mentality as you know, for Franz, you know, I, I think people got to see a glimpse of what we've known for quite some time. You know, obviously, since drafting him, you know, we've talked about his high basketball IQ. You talk about his work ethic. You talk about his care for the game and his attention to detail. He has all of those pieces. And it, like he's a, oh, I joke with him, he's a 40-year-old man in a 22-year-old, you know, body. I, I think he just sees the game so differently. Uh, he he cares about the little things. He cares about people. Uh, and I'm going to go back to to your point about what we saw, what I saw. And I'm, I keep hitting both home on their defensive, their defensive ability, uh, your, their ability to switch, their ability to show. You know, Franz did a great job of sitting down and switching, you know, when it came time to guard certain guards. I think that's going to be the biggest key, you know, for as he comes comes back here. Our, our, our ability to sit down and guard, which I was so happy to watch a lot, them do at times, um, is going to, you know, you know, skyrocket us to what we're capable of doing. Okay, I'm going to look up those defensive metrics next time I see you when you're in either Brooklyn or New York, because that is going to be key for you guys. Absolutely. You are 100% correct. Is there anybody that, any players that either you played with, coached, watched, that remind you of Paolo and Franz? I mean, because the game has changed so much over years, our players are just getting more talented. The IQs are getting higher. Um, you just have to give combinations, you know, you know, between Paolo being a combination of a Melo and a LeBron and a Tatum. Like there's there's these different combinations that they possess, the passing skills, the ability to score in different areas, the power that they possess, Franz between, you know, the mixture of the Middleton and the Kawhi and, you know, the the Durant and, and the footwork. I mean, you you just there's so many aspects that these guys take from each one of those guys. You don't want to just label them as they're just like that person. It's just there's a combination of each one that they possess because they do study the game. And they do watch all of these players. So they're also ultimately taking taking something from each one of these these other great players. And I mean, obviously, it was a big offseason for them uh, individually. And I touched a little bit on Mo as well. Um, when you look at the offseason for Orlando and kind of the landscape of the East, certainly a lot of teams have been trying to make moves to get better. Boston made a bunch of moves uh, with Porzingis and whatnot. And, you know, we don't have to go down the whole list, but... It was an active summer for for teams. When when you look at Orlando's offseason, uh, what did you think of it from a coaching standpoint with the group that you have and what to expect for the season ahead? Well, for us, I'm, I'm a, a firm believer in consistency and stability. Um, I know you've heard a ton of coaches that, you know, have wanted that talk about the stability that they have, you know, Spo and Kerr and Mike Malone and Pop, the, them being there. And so it's similar with the players. You know, we didn't make many changes. We brought the same group back, uh, adding Joe Ingles and, you know, Jet Howard and Anthony Black. But for the most part, we brought every person back that was with us that understands what it is we're trying to do. So now the messaging stays the same. The guys that were here before can relay that message to the guys that are coming in. So for me, I think there there is a, a level of of gratitude for how we kept it the same, you know, because now these guys know what to expect. They know 
our voices. They know what the coaches are saying to them. They know what we were good at last year uh, and we'll double down on it and where we need to improve. Uh, how do we play consistent basketball, uh, taking care of the basketball, defending at a high level, but then you're asking these guys to grow up a little bit more, uh, to demand more in the details um, and to not beat ourselves in so many ways. I think as you grow, you have to learn how to not beat yourselves and how to win. And like you said, the league is, there's such an even level right now that you have to learn how to win games. And that's what this group has learned how to do on the back end when, you know, we were that close to getting to the play-in. They understand meaningful games and what how you have to prepare for them and how you have to approach each game. You, I mean, look, you talked about it. You alluded to it where you guys, after the first, I think it was 20 or 25 games, you, you guys then got healthy. You played above 500 basketball with a young group um, that's learning how to win like you talked about. So you carry that over into this season and that continuity you touched on. With that in mind, I am going to ask you, is the play-in or the playoffs uh, a goal? Is it something, you know, with this young group? Like, what, what's the mindset here going into no, I the think the mindset for us, uh, honestly, is, is how do we play our best basketball come April and May? You know, I think we're going to continue to grow and every team's going to say, we want to make the playoffs. We want to win a championship. Every team says it. And for me, I want to focus so much in our team on not necessarily the wins and the losses, but are we getting better? And what does that look like? Are we playing a great style of basketball What that you see the continuity, you see the joy, you see the togetherness, you see the the grit that we that we possess every time we touch the floor. Um, and that's how we'll measure it. Because if we're doing all those things, the wins will take care of themselves. If we're not beating ourselves by turning the basketball over or by giving up certain, you know, rebounds, that will take care of itself if we're taking care of those small details. Another key to your success this year is going to be Markel Fultz. If he can stay healthy and, and his next steps and his development as a player. Um, for Markel, what has... I don't know if you had a chance to really like spend as much time with him as maybe Paolo and Franz when, when they were in the World Cup. But um, what have you seen from Markel this offseason and, and what are your expectations for him going into the new year? I think Markel's ability to continue to lead uh, because he is such a selfless uh, point guard that he wants to share. He wants to he, he enjoys seeing the su success of his teammates. And that's what we're going to ask more of for him. You know, obviously defensively being able to guard the ball, sit down. And because his, his, his level of physicality is up there, I really think that he's going to, you know, set the tone in a lot of ways for us. So I think he has such a, a high ceiling um, of where he can go because of how he's been working this summer. I did get to spend some time with him uh, in, in, in L.A., here as well as, you know, in his home in Maryland. I just really believe that he's he's going to take some some big strides. And the great part about this group is that they are embracing what those strides will look like. They're not shying away from it. And I think that's the beauty of where we are um, as a group, as a whole, because each one is buying into what it is we're asking them to do on a daily basis. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing the strides, the strides that those guys make, but also yourself as you continue to develop as a coach. It should be an exciting year for Orlando. Um, 
I'm looking forward to the new jerseys as well. I did like those when I saw that you guys uh, put them out going a little bit of a throwback. So those are nice. <laughs> Very nice. It it should be a fun year. And Jamal, I appreciate you joining me on the line, brother. Um, from past to present, it's been a pretty cool uh, NBA experience for you so far. And I certainly wish you and the team uh, best of luck going into the new year, my man. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate it. Thank you again. Of course. And I also want to thank everybody else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoops High podcast with players, coaches, executives, uh, media members, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Jamal, I don't know if you have a burner account, but if you want to share it with us. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I have no social media. I'm okay. You, you are better off, brother. Trust me. Um, but for everybody else, until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best. Hey.